unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Great to be with you once again. Coming up on today's show with the baseball regular season coming to a close this weekend and the playoffs starting next week, we will bring in one of my stable of sports guys, Joe Finger. Joe and I will discuss all things related to the shortened 2020 sprint and uh, what might happen in the playoffs. That is coming up. Joe standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Well, this week was the 50th anniversary of the first broadcast of Monday Night Football. And it actually was broadcast on both ESPN and its original home, ABC, this past Monday evening. Nice to see Steve Levy, Louis Riddick, and Brian Greasy wearing the throwback yellow blazers of ABC Sports. And when you think about Monday Night Football starting in 1970, kicking off what would be a juggernaut of primetime programming down the road and ironically as many of you know if you've listened to this show Keith Jackson was the original play-by-play voice for season one Frank Gifford was held up at CBS on a contract so he had to wait one year for his debut of course they had the one the only Howard Cosell look at him go Howard with the halftime highlights, the precursor to what would be eventually uh, NFL primetime on ESPN. I mean, this was this was it, you know, because you got your two games on Sunday and then Monday Night Football came around in halftime with the aid of NFL films. Howard Cosell would narrate the highlights of some of the top games. And that's where, you know, Chris Berman got his. He could go all the way. And those were those were a treat. And when you were young like I was at the time, I was once young, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, you always got to watch the first half of the Monday night game before you had to go to bed because you had school the next day. But if you had cool parents, they let you at least watch the halftime highlights. <laughs> Which is always stable. And then, of course, Dandy Don Meredith, who brought great wit and was, you know, a perfect anti, you know, perfect opposite, rather, to Cosell. So it was a nice gig. Uh, you know, he would he would kind of poke fun and and it, it just worked. It was magic. You know, Frank Gifford played the great straight man, giving the play by play and setting up his comrades and he, and again, you know, ESPN has been trying to recapture and make Monday Night Football what it was. And it just doesn't, it's 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 never going to be like that greatness that it was in the 70s and into the early 80s. And it still had some panache when it was Al Michaels coming over uh, in the mid, mid to late 80s and running through the 90s. It still was still a pretty big deal, but the more proliferation of primetime games on Sunday night... And now Thursday night, and the fact that uh, you know it's not the the marquee event it was, 
it still can be special. It still can be nice, but it's it's not going to be. You know that genie is not coming out of the bottle for ESPN, and most likely, I think it will end up back on ABC in the next contract. And you know, for all the streaming and all those options out there, it's still a big deal to put your games on one of the big four networks. It's still the driver, if you will. And uh, it would be kind of cool to see Monday Night Football back on ABC. I, I see that being a simulcast situation like they've done with their playoff games uh, in recent years. But uh, that would be pretty cool stuff. Speaking of the NFL, one of the great legends of the game. You know, boy, in recent weeks we've had to, you know, remember so many of the greats that have passed this year. And one of them was the Chicago Bear running back Gale Sayers, the Kansas Comet. He passes away this week at the age of 77. And Gale Sayers' talent was so far ahead of its time. He was one of those extreme electric runners that could zig and zag, stop on a dime, run past you. He, he just had such great talent. Knee injuries shortened his career. It was, I want to say he had two or three and you know they just don't have didn't have the surgeries then that they have today. If you can imagine that, he probably could have eked out a few more years. And if you've ever seen the movie Brian's Song, that uh, uh, was about his relationship with uh, Brian Piccolo, his teammate and fellow running back who uh, who passed away from cancer, and, and the movie chronicles that uh, last year. And, you know, Gale Sayers won the Comeback Player of the Year, dedicated that to Brian Piccolo. But, uh, yeah, the you you think of all the great runners, the Barry Sanders and the Tony Dorsett's, Gale Sayers, his game resonated. Gale Sayers' game would resonate today. It would work in 2020. That is for sure. So how about those Atlanta Falcons? Still see they know how to hold on to a lead. <laughs> Had the Cowboys down 20 to nothing, uh, later again by 19, down by 15 with five minutes left to go in the game. And they found a way to blow it. Unbelievable. It's <laughs> just, you know, give credit to the Cowboys. They kept slogging through. They had no business winning that game as awful as they played in the first half with all the fumbles, the questionable decisions. Two fake punts that did not work. I didn't have a problem with the first one. Had the punter Chris Jones thrown a better pass, it would have been a first down and it would have been a good big play. The second one, you weren't fooling anybody. Then not going for a single point. Instead, to draw within eight, they decided to go for two. So then they end up nine down, so they still need two more possessions. Um, you know, Mike McCarthy said he's embraced analytics. I wonder where he's getting his analytics from. Who is feeding him that stuff? Because it ain't working. But his team bailed him out. And then the onside kick that the Falcons, you know, they were... Uh, I think the fact that Zerline putting it on the ground was kind of a odd situation. And then he kicks it and it rolls. And, you know, I, I used the gif on... Facebook that uh, 
it how the Falcons' reaction was was like you remember on Seinfeld when Elaine was watching the tire that was uh, spinning around and kind of looking at it going yay <laughs> that was the Falcons. <laughs> Two or three guys could have just pounced on that ball and been done with. You know they don't have to wait for it to go ten yards. But the Cowboys recover. Zerline kicks a game-winning field goal. And how Quinn has a job as coach of the Falcons still is beyond me. And last note before we get to Joe, LeBron James whines about not getting the MVP. Oh, he gets so tired. You know, he, he longs for the attention and the adulation and and wanting to be considered the greatest. But every time he bitches and moans, he just takes a step back. If he just went with the flow, people would give him more respect. Time now to talk a little baseball as we get set to conclude the regular season and start the playoffs in this wild 2020 season. Joining us once again from my stable of sports guys, my baseball man, Joe Finger is here with us. Joe, how are you doing? Jeff, uh, doing well. And um, it's been an exhaustingly long baseball season, hasn't it? (laughs) 60 games. I am exhausted, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, especially if you had to play a lot of doubleheaders, you might be. There have been more than uh, an average share of those this year. Yes, there have been just a few of those. uh, That's for sure. So 60 games. We're heading down the home stretch. We may not know some of the playoff matchups until play concludes on Sunday with the expanded playoffs, uh, eight teams from each side getting in. Uh, It's uh, been quite a dash. I got, I got to tell you, uh, it, it is kind of crazy. What, six, 16 teams, three rounds. Earlier this week, um, I started playing, you know, a lot closer attention, knowing that this was the final week of the season. And, you know, the Twins are going to be in it. The Braves are going to be in it. So our teams are in it. So I'm thinking we're in a pandemic. We've got 16 teams in the playoffs, these extra rounds. There is no way that the Twins are going to end up playing the Yankees in the first round this year. Now, earlier this week, when I first looked at it, sure enough, probable round one matchup, Twins at Yankees, you know? So I said, well, I'm, I'm just going to write it off right now. But uh, we're, we're hopeful uh, in Twins land that uh, the Twins maybe won't draw the Yankees in the first round. But I tell you what, I think it's a crapshoot this year. A three-round wildcard series – um, I, I think anybody, anything could happen and probably will. Yeah. And I will ask you about that. Cause uh, right now, if it were to start today, you would get those cheating Houston Astros. <laughs> <laughs> Liars. <laughs> <laughs> so you get, get those guys and, you know, and, that, and, and I'm glad you brought that wild card thing up. Cause I was also thinking about it this way too. You know, you're looking at a situation now because, you know, basically baseball was regional this year. East played East. Uh, whether in their own division or in the yep. other league. And so now you're looking at a situation where, you know, they're going to be playing teams for the first time. And I think that might give an underdog and even, you know, level that playing field a little bit more for them, especially, you know, with that three-game series being in equation. Well, no pun intended, but it really does throw a wild card into the mix. And, and I, you know, we actually talked a little bit about this, I think, back earlier in the summer 
when we were speculating that maybe teams that, you know, through the luck of the draw had a much tougher schedule because of the division they were in and the, you know, the fact that they were playing just mainly within their division might uh, be a lot stronger come playoff time from having had that tougher schedule. And maybe there might be a few teams who kind of mopped up on some weaklings in their division who may be in for a rude awakening, but uh, that's just one factor among many. Um, So in in a strange sort of way, I'm looking forward to it because I think anything can happen. But um, I, I think you may see some higher-seeded teams maybe maybe take an early exit this year if I did, you know, if I had a crystal ball. Yeah, it'll well, it will be interesting because you know, as of right now, Tampa Bay would be the one seed in the American League, yep. and they would uh, draw Toronto from their own division. And I believe they've, uh, I believe Toronto's had some success against them. They have. Toronto's got a very good young team and have been playing well lately. And I, I wouldn't. Um, think any of these opening round matchups would be a sure thing at all. Uh, not, not at all. Tampa Bay's had another great season. In fact, it's a small market uh, lineup in the American League near the top with um, possibly the Twins winning the Central. We don't know yet. But the Twins, uh, Rays, and then the A's uh, out West. So we'll, we'll kind of just have to see how that plays out. As long as the Astros don't do well, I'll be happy, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure. So, yeah, that's a, like I said, we're going to, we're going to figure out where the, where everything lines up by the end of the weekend. And then in the national league, the Dodgers are the one seed. Everybody is touting them as they have the last several years. Yes. And, you know, they've got the proverbial monkey on their back. What's it been, uh, 32 years since they won a World Series? I, I, I think I read that this week. I couldn't believe the, that. The it doesn't seem like that, right? But, yeah. Because they've had some great individual seasons, you know, within the past couple of years. They've had some monster regular seasons, but as you said, have not gone all the way. And I, I think it's going to be a tough uh, road this year, maybe even more so than usual because of, the you know, the nature of the circumstances that we're looking at. Yeah. I mean, and, and then I look at the, the, the National League, too, and, you know, you kind of look at, the, you know, I find it ironic that the two teams that were uh, nearly responsible for wrecking the whole season from the beginning with COVID, the Marlins and the Cardinals are going to be in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, the Marlins, what, I'm, around, I'm playing around 500 ball in that East. Uh, as, you know, the Braves are kind of – uh, waltzing in on in that division, but they've they've played well. Mattingly's got his team playing well, and St. Louis. Uh, you, you know, yeah, I think the last time we spoke was like, wow, they, what type of a season are they even going to be able to put together? They certainly played their fair share of doubleheaders, but here they are as well uh, in that sixteen team field, that eighteen field in the National League. Yeah, and and I think the Marlins, if I heard correctly, had an obscene record in doubleheader games. Uh, which was, uh, you know, taking advantage of seven inning opportunities. Your starting pitcher does have to, you know, go as go as long, or or he can go longer if your bullpen's not as good. So you might be stealing a yeah. few wins there that you might not have won yeah, in a nine inning game. Yeah, that's something we can talk about maybe later if we look at how these rule changes have gone. But that's probably benefited certain teams. And I was just thinking about the poor Washington Nationals, the defending World Series champions. I'm not so sure that their current record is that far off of where it was a year ago after 60 games. So they're thinking we're right where we would have wanted to be. 
had we have another hundred games to play. But um, I believe again, I'm you know doing a little uh, research this week, and I, I think it's been like 20 years now since we've had a repeat World Series winner. I think the Yankees were the last team to uh, repeat, and actually they did it three in a row. I believe I was reading uh, back during the Joe Torre great teams of the late 90s, like 90, 98, 99, and 2000. But since then, um, no repeat winners. In fact, I think uh, only about half of the World Series winners have even been able to make the playoffs the next year. And so the Nats will just be one more case in point, not even going to make the postseason after uh, winning it all last year. Yeah. And what can only happen in 2020 is, you know, after the first round, baseball will go to the bubble environment. And I find it very intriguing that the – American League teams will be playing in National League parks, and the National League teams will be yeah. playing in American parks. Yeah, I know. The, uh, the AL is going to be put um, out in California, I think. LA and, and San uh, Diego. And then uh, Texas, uh, Houston, and Arlington will be hosting the National League. I don't, I don't know why, why that is. Have you heard why that is? I couldn't find out. I have not heard that, how that is, and I, th- and I find that kind of intriguing because even though – the East teams haven't played in the West. They would at least still have some familiarity with the ballparks if the National League's teams were playing in National League cities. I get well. You know what? Let me think out loud now. I, it, perhaps that's to guard against the possibility that you could have, um, say, an American League team playing in their home ballpark or something. Uh, same in the National League. I, I suppose yeah. that might have been the thinking there. That could, yeah. That could to think of it. I don't know that that will actually have happened, but it's certainly theoretically that would have been a possibility. Yeah, but uh, definitely uh, interesting to say the least. And um, so today, as I was driving home, I was uh, listening to our old colleague, Chris Russo, and uh, he had the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, on. Hey, Robbie, great job, baby. <laughs> Christopher Russo. <laughs> yeah. And. But, so but your fans know about who Chris Russo is, but there may be a couple out there who do not. Russo uh, uh, got his one of his early starts back in Orlando back in, oh, my Lord, Jeff, we're dating ourselves. When was this, in the 80s? 1984. 84. You, you produced his show for a while. Yes. Um, and, of course, he went on to, to New York and then satellite radio and, and all, of, all of the trappings of uh, the big time. MLB Network, David Letterman appearances. Oh, yeah. uh, he, he, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Chris is a good guy, I think. I, I yes. like him. Yeah, no, he, I, I was always grateful to have worked with him because he did teach me a lot about sports talk. And, uh, you know, he, and he was, I mean, he was a natural. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, there are few, few guys that have that, that great natural ability to do that. And, and, and yeah, and we're not here to talk about Chris the whole <laughs> half hour, but, you know, he's one of those guys who's got the, uh, the style, the bombastic style, and, and really goes over well, uh, especially in larger markets, I'm sure. I'm not sure Orlando was ready for him back in 1984, but Chris is a very smart guy. Um, behind all of the uh, showbiz appeal, he knows his stuff. And, he, yeah. and he's intellectually quite honest about it. And if he ever makes a mistake, he'd be the first to admit it. But anyway, he's got the commission today. I didn't hear the, uh, hear the show. So what was your takeaway? Yes, I wanted to bring up some of the things they talked about. And so uh, they talked a little bit about the, uh, the extra rules that were in place for this season. So the first thing uh, was the seven-inning doubleheaders. And that will be a no for it to continue. 
Okay. Uh, a one Breaking news. Okay. That, was a, uh, that looks to be a one season only uh, deal for obvious reasons. Um, the DH uh, said it's up to the National League. He says he's not going to use it as a bargaining chip, but uh, it's up to the NL. Chances are it's going to be in in 22 with the next CBA. Um, so they might as well just go ahead and rip the bandit off and go all in next year, in my opinion. You think it's it's uh, it's it's definitely going to happen? Maybe not next season, but by the next uh, collective bargaining agreement time. Most people have said that that is likely going to happen, and you know because it produces you know what uh, sixteen more jobs in in uh, in baseball. So, but now we can't we can't mark the double switch on our scorecard when we're watching <laughs> spring training games. I mean, what? Come on! <laughs> hey, as much as I would like to see it stay the same, with if 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 we didn't have interleague play, I wouldn't want it at all. But but we got to we got to kind of get past this. It's, yeah, because that that does present an argument for leveling the playing field since the you you know you do have the interleague play. So I I agree that the American leagues have been at something of a disadvantage as yeah. a result of that. Extra inning rule. Uh the commissioner says 50-50. Mm. Which uh, I got to tell you I cannot say I I I like it. I like it a lot. Is, you're talking about the one where they put a runner on runner second? Runner on second base, yes. All right. I've got, I've got some stats for you on that. I actually was researching that this I afternoon you would. I was curious. <laughs> um, and, of course, that, that rule has been in play or was in play in the minor leagues over the past two seasons. And the stats I came up with said that Minor league games that went to extra innings ended in the 10th inning 73% of the time with the runner on second. So that runner was scoring and the game was over uh, almost three quarters of the time after 10 innings. And it was over after two extra innings 93% of the time. Bottom line is not many games were going longer than 11 innings. Now compare that to the, you know, the traditional rule uh, in the, at the major league level, last season, there were 208 extra inning games. 44% of those, just under half, ended in 10 innings. So about half, almost half the time, the game doesn't go longer than 10. And then 72% of the time, the game was over after two extra innings. So um, only about a quarter of the games go longer than 11 innings. So you might say, well, it's not that big of a difference, but yet clearly the rule does tend to speed the game up. It does tend to cut down on those marathon, you know, 14, 15, 16 inning games. So there's something to be said um, that it does have an effect. Although, you know, is it, is it as big of an impact as you might imagine? That, that's debatable. I like it from the strategy aspect. Because there it, is does, that. it does bring small ball back into the equation. And those are also the type of situations because in the playoffs, runs become much more harder to come by. I mean, the power surges we see all during the regular season aren't as frequent and rampant in the playoffs. And you have to take runs when you can get them. And, yeah, the strategy uh, does change. That's true. Yeah. So I kind of like that aspect. It uh, might keep teams a little bit more fresh in that uh utilizing that kind of a strategy, in my opinion. Well, it does. And um, it, 
you know, it puts a premium on having your bullpen healthy as you go into extra inning games, particularly if we were going to do 162 games, you know, teams tend to get banged up. So um, from a strategy standpoint, it, you know, it's either a curse or a blessing depending on the condition of your roster. I know I saw a Tigers twins game this week in which Detroit uh, at Minnesota, the Tigers scored in the 10th, that runner came in and then the twins came back with two in the bottom of the 10th. Um, and, and scored. So, I, you know, it does increase the uh, runs scored. Um, and I think the home, home team sometimes have an, an advantage in that. That would be another statistic. We can drill down and uh, deconstruct statistics all day long, but I'm just wondering if um, the percentage of times the home team wins an extra inning game has gone up. But that's for the super nerds, and we haven't got time to go there, right? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be for another program. Another program. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> yes. So we'll get the crack research team working that's on right. that. That's um, right. So the commissioner also said, now, if everything stays on point and they complete the playoffs without any interruption, Major League Baseball, all teams combined, the total financial loss this season would be three, with a B, billion dollars. Three billion dollars. Wow. That's a uh, pretty hefty. I mean, that's a that's an amazing amount of money to put a season on, uh, and not even a full one at that. However, don't cry too much for Major League Baseball because you know recently they did sign a three point seven billion dollar deal extension with Turner Sports, so they're getting the money back. <laughs> they just have to start. So, yeah, harder. I, you know that. That's kind of a mind-boggling figure at first blush, but what type of context did the commissioner put that in? I mean, I mean, what what is the actual that is implication Gates, of that? Gates Suites, um, the uh, business that comes in around the the, yeah. the stadium that the, all the, know, the tangential stuff, all of the ancillary yes, yes. stuff. Um, you know, and you know they have less games on TV, so yeah. you know they're not getting their full freight there. Uh, as far as the advertising revenue on TV goes. So it's, you throw all those things together, and I think... what Did he say anything about what he would expect the long-term impact or fallout of that to be? Did he even speculate on that? He did not speculate too much because, you know, the, the next question that Chris asked him was, you know, does he think, you know, 2020 is going to get off on time and get fans back in the ballpark? And, you know, that's still... It's still quite a ways away. You would like to think that that's going to happen. But, you know, as we know, the crystal ball does not work as well <laughs> in recent months. <laughs> uh, yeah, the crystal ball has pretty much been useless, I think. Yes. Um, in our current times, we, we, you know, we just all hope and pray that uh, we, you know, we get through this timely and that uh, calmer, calmer heads prevail throughout our country and the world. Um, but that's your political podcast there. <laughs> yes, that's on my uh, that's on my other network. Um, your other network. Yes. <laughs> so, so as you look back at about what this season was, do you have a like a, a favorite moment or an intriguing moment that comes to mind that happened during the course of the season? An intriguing moment. Um. That's a good question. I don't, you know, I don't know that I have a singular moment in time. I, I, to me, it's, it's just the whole surreal kind of um, atmosphere surrounding the season, especially early on, uh, seeing no 
fans in the stands, seeing games canceled because of the COVID scare, uh, contemplating, really contemplating a lot of the fallout that, you know, the commissioner, you know, you said was talking about with Mr. Russo today about the people around the game who were hurt, the, the vendors, the people whose livelihood depends uh, on that game. And then here at the end, just thinking, wow, here we are uh, at the end of the season. And it was as if we just began. So it's, it's, it's a lot to take in just from a kind of a global uh, global perspective. Uh, so I, I don't know that I had a, you know, a singular finite game uh, that's that memorable. I've watched, you know, a lot of Twins games here and there. Uh, but it's just, it's just a whole strange nature and just trying to contemplate what, what this season with all of the asterisk um, <laughs> will probably be in the records years from now, what that really will, will be remembered as in, in hindsight. Yeah, I would I would say that, you know, I would be hesitant to use the asterisk because the challenges of this year are unlike any other. Um, and teams are still competing. You know, you still have a pretty good idea, you know, who the better teams are in baseball. So I, I, I think an asterisk would be kind of a, a downer to include on that. But it's certainly a season that has to have a certain amount of noteworthiness once, you know, once the history books are, you know, 30, 40 years down the road. Um, Do you have a, um, a, an image or a game or, a, or a, what first comes to mind when you think of this season so far? Two things stick out to me. And I think it's just one, just, you know, after we went through, you know, people say, well, it's just sports. But sports is such a great escape for me. You know, I, I, it's a great stress reducer. It takes my mind off the world. Um, you know, it's either baseball or the Andy Griffith show reruns for me. Jeff. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But <laughs> so do know, a lot of people, you know, but you know, as soon as those first games were played, whether there were fans there or not, man, my mood was uplifted because I had sports to watch again. Yeah. And, when, and then when the other sports uh, uh, started their resumption as well, and we've got football back now, that's kind of what stood out to me was getting something back that I sorely missed. You're, you know, you're right. And um, I used to be a mental health counselor for many years. Um, and, you know, I, I still dabble in that from time to time. And, and, I, and I've often thought, of, especially in the last six months, about this whole issue of, of what we've lost. Uh, and, I don't, and I know, you know, 200,000 people plus in the United States have died. Uh, but, but, but loss is measured in a lot of different ways. And to your point, some people saying, well, sports is, well, it's just sports. But sports is exactly as you describe it. It's, it's part of our routine. It's part of our culture. And it helps to create that sense of normalcy for us, which promotes the mental health of that culture. And so to see sports return is a big deal. And not in the sense that, oh, my gosh, I hope my team wins the World Series. But it, it promotes that sense of normalcy uh, and gives us hope for what lies ahead as we hopefully move even further down this path of recovery. And, of course, now football is back as well. And so we're just uh, hoping and praying that the NFL can get a full season in, much like Major League Baseball almost has. Full season in the sense that they're going to play it out and, you know, get to a conclusion at the end. Yeah. And I would also say that as part of that, you know, uplifting, if you will, because, you know, I went through 
you know, uh, some time not working. And, yes, and you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and you can only, to me, you know, I'm not a huge binge watcher. There are a few, a few shows I will binge watch. Um, but, you know, there's only some, to me, I run out, I run out of gas on those things uh, rather quickly. So, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the, and it was fun for a little while to have the, the quote unquote classic sports reruns. That, that was a, that was kind of a nice little thing, but that, you know, got to be a little old, pardon the pun, after a while, too. You can only live in the past for so long, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, a, you know, if I, if, I, if, I, if I relive this memory and drink another beer, I'm going to be, you know, crying like a country song here. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so that, to me, when baseball came back, was like the first big step. And then the other thing that I've really enjoyed, and we've talked about this before, was the seven-inning doubleheaders. It was kind of fun to watch – Two games in the span of about four hours, which would normally be an American League nine-inning game, yeah. right? <laughs> um, yeah. Those those were were enjoyable to watch. So that was just you know, and just the fact it was a different oddity took me back to the minor league days of watching the Orlando Twins at Tinkerfield. I did think about that. And you're right, Jeff. I, the seven-inning um, games it reminded me of the old Orlando Twins years. Some of the games we saw. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. yep. You know, having my dad, you know, rush home from work and get us there for the six Oh five twin bill start was oh, that's right. <laughs> start early. What? That's, that's right. And, uh, people and, back in the days when people sometimes got off work at five o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. I'm relating to that now. Yeah, no, no, most definitely. So, um, but anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to this postseason, you know. And again, that was the other thing. Manfred said he 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 does not really like having a 16 game postseason, but felt this season needed a little bit more of a extra round yeah. to kind of you know make the legitimacy of winning a championship happen. Uh, he he likened a number to you know 12, 14 would be where, where they would hope to settle upon. In that, you know, and, and I agree. I mean, I think for this season, having 16 is great. I don't like I don't like half the field making the playoffs in any sport. No, I, I, I just assumed that that wasn't going to be something we were seriously looking at as a permanent rule. But I think certainly for this season, it makes good sense to get more teams in there. So I was all on board with that. And it's going to be a wild, crazy couple of weeks here, I think. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, like we said at the top of the show, I think a lot of these teams um, that may be coming in and, the, you know, a sixth, seventh, or even an eighth seed, you know, short series, that wild card round, three-game series, <laughs> all bets are off. Yeah, I think there there could be two or three upsets to take place in that scenario. It, it wouldn't be out of the question. Uh, that's it could sure. be a Braves-Twins um World Series. <laughs> we live 91. That, that yeah, would be a, of, kinda... yeah, a lot of possibilities. A lot of possibilities there. Yeah, the only thing the is... don't have to play the Yankees. That's all I care about. All right. Uh, none but, of that. But uh, I'll have you handicap your team's chances in a moment. Mine, my concern with the Braves is the starting pitching. Um, they've, they've gotten by because their bullpen is deep and very good, and their offense has been tremendous. Uh, with the starting pitching, other than outside of Max Freed, you know, Soroka went down early. Ian Anderson's uh, provided him a, a, a spark. The, the, and, but it's, it's hard to go deep if you don't have 
at you least know, three horses, they, and the, no off days in the playoffs yeah. is going to be a big, big factor there. The 2020 Atlanta Braves are the 2019 Minnesota Twins. This time a year ago, it it was for the Minnesota Twins. You, it was like I don't even know who the starting pitchers are anymore. So <laughs> yeah, what you do, and they've had it. You're right. The Braves have scored a lot of runs. And I remember early in the season, I was every time I picked up a sports page, it was somebody else dropping out with an injury or they were losing another arm. And I'm thinking, geez, I mean, what kind of season are they going to have? But here they are, top, you know, top seed in the East. Yeah, and that does remind me, the other big uh, fun moment was the 29-run game against the Marlins. That was a blast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, how did we forget that? What the heck? 29 runs. Yeah. That was <laughs> – that was that was that was insane. When you know, I uh, I was thinking, golly, if I were the Braves, I'd be thinking, I, I wish we should have saved a few of those. My my worst fear would be go out the next night and lose three to two. You know, <laughs> yeah. well, well, you know, the next pitcher in line is going, hey, come on, man, save some of that for me. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think they did go out and score a few runs that next game, if I remember. Yes, they did. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, so that's you know. Filter. Yeah, so hopefully they've got uh, more of that offensive barrage. But, again, I think uh, that's going to be a little bit more difficult in the playoffs. Um, And and ironically, too, I heard a stat the other day that I think in this 60-game season, I think they have almost had as many home runs as the entire 162-game season of, like, 2016. Of course, they weren't a good team, and Freddie Freeman was their only power guy. At the time, uh, but you think so about how many um, how many home runs do they have? Have you thought about what would that be projected to over a one sixty two game season? You know, I have, I have not really looked at that. You know, we could uh, we could go to the old Google machine and see uh, a little quick many, math, maybe find out what the Brave statistics are. This is so compelling, right? Listen to me type. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting breaking news right here, up to the minute. So while you're looking for that, I'm reading here that Atlanta's starting rotation had the National League's highest earned run average this month. That was through earlier this week. So to your point, they you know the starters have definitely struggled. So obviously, it's been a high octane offense and and a you know a solid bullpen as you described it. Yeah, so from the home run tally, we're looking at uh, – we're looking at, uh, if I'm reading this right, 99 home runs. 99 home runs. Um, so let's say that after 60 games, they end up with um, – well, let's just say it was 100, and then we'll add a few more, but – so 60 games, I'm doing a little quick math here. We'd multiply that. I'm doing a little. I was little told there'd be no math. Here. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> math here. So we'll multiply that by 2.6. Uh, that, that would put them up in about 270 home runs, probably over a course of a 162. Um, really good. Not as good as the Twins from last year. But uh, considering it's a National League team, I don't know where that would put them historically. Certainly, That's certainly, great. it's a very impressive uh, display. Yeah, and the number of you know players that have multi home run games has been astonishing. And then you look at uh, you know uh, 
I'm hoping they can resign Ozuna. He has been a he he's been everything, if not more than what Josh Donaldson was last year. Um, and then <laughs> we'll, get to, we'll get to Donaldson in a minute. Yes, um, and, and and Adam Duvall, you know, he is such a great story. Uh, having to serve his time in the minor leagues last year was tearing it up at AAA. Got the call up and you know contributed, hit, hit quite a few home runs, and was able to stick in this season. He's right up there with Azuna for the team lead. So it's a uh, great stories there. So what do you what do you what do you think well, about the Twins? Uh, well, the, the, the Twins. It's an interesting um, Twins team. Last year it was, you know, just hitting home runs at a record pace. By the end of the season, the starting pitching was virtually non-existent, had a pretty good bullpen, and then got wiped out by the Yankees in the postseason. Uh, this year, they haven't hit nearly as many home runs, but I think partly due to injuries. They've had a lot of injuries. They've, I don't think they've had their regular starting lineup out there since probably the first week of the season. They've had two or three, sometimes four or five of their regulars out with this and that. Uh, but the starting pitching has been a whole lot better this year. And they've got a pretty good starting rotation um, with uh, Barrios, Maida from the Dodgers, uh, Big Mike uh, Panita is back in the rotation. Uh, Jake Odorizzi uh, might be back uh, in time for the postseason. So they have a lot better starting pitching. And in a short series, I think that's probably a bigger factor for them even more so than their uh, offense. And they're starting to get a lot of their players back in the lineup. So I, th I think they're coming around and playing some pretty good ball here down the stretch. But oddly enough, they've struggled on the road. They have one of the best home records in baseball and very mediocre on the road. So the, when earlier this week I was looking at the prospect of them starting off the season against the Yankees uh, on the road um, – that's not what I wanted to see, but um, if they, you know, at home, they've been great. So, um, you know, I think they have as good a chance as any, but like we've been saying throughout the show, I think it's just a kind of a crapshoot this year, uh, given the, uh, the format and the, you know, just kind of the nature of the season we've had. Yeah. And what was your thoughts on uh, Josh Donaldson? Oh, Donaldson. Yeah. Um, well, he spent most of the season on the injured list. Um, and I know he's had some injury problems in the past. Um, he's back now. Um, he's hit a few home runs. He, he has solidified the defense on the left side of the infield. And I think yeah, he, he does. plays with a lot of intensity. So we're glad to have him in the lineup. Um, I, I don't know if did you hear about his little dust up uh, with the umpire a week or so ago where he got literally, uh, a, a little, yeah, a little, place. yeah, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't like the, um, an earlier call uh, and then he ended up hitting a home run and, uh, in a petulant display of <laughs> maturity of a typical fourth grader, he kicked dirt on the plate and got himself tossed out and um, came out the next day and said, I'm not apologizing for anything. Does that, does that the Josh Donaldson you grew to love in Atlanta? Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was interesting because, you know, Atlanta was the first season he had in the last two or three where he wasn't dealing with injuries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think he played all, but just maybe a game or two. Um, and then, and, and, and I think it's the, it's, it's the calf of the hamstring that you It's the calf. That was the yeah, calf. It takes, him, yeah. takes him out. And, uh, yep. Yep. Uh, but, you know, he was a great presence in the locker room. 
you could see you could see in the dugout he was he was fiery and you know you got to have those guys on your team. Yeah, I like that. I you know the Twins haven't had enough of those guys over the years. As much as we love Joe Maurer, Joe was just kind of an easygoing guy. I think we need we need some of that uh, some of that energy. So hopefully he stays healthy and it's good to have a guy like that with the experience in the postseason. Yeah, no question about it. Well, that'll be interesting. I do have to ask you a couple of football questions while okay, we're together. Football. So first, um, you know, we, we got the sad news of this week about Gail Sayers passing away. Yes. And, you know, I remarked before you came on the show that, you know, Gail Sayers was ahead of his time. I think his game would have transcended into today's with, with the way he ran, how fluid and shifty and, in just amazing yeah. speed. Um, there were, there, it's yeah. a shame he only got five years. <laughs> when I was first watching football, you know, um, he, he was still playing. And I thought at the time, I, I was probably just old enough to appreciate the fact that, I mean, I don't think there's another running back in the league who is anywhere near what this guy is doing. I missed Jim Brown. Jim was a different type of runner anyway. But, that, but when I was first watching um, – Gail Sayers was was unbelievable, and such a um, uh, I think a humble man and well respected uh, off the field and throughout the rest of his life as well. And of course, the, the you know uh, we we grew up watching uh, Brian's song, and, you know his relationship with Brian Piccolo. Uh, so I often associate that with with Gail Sayers. But yes, to your point, uh, yeah. I, I think his game would translate very well with the skill set that he had. And I was very sad to hear uh, his passing. Yeah, he definitely one of the, you know, he's one of those few guys who played only a handful of seasons, but you but was Hall of That's Fame true. worthy, you know? Yeah, it really, you look at it, he, he didn't play all that long. Yeah, and, and had they had the, you know, the knee surgeries they can do now, Back then, you know, he probably plays 10 years. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Uh, you know, compared to then to where we are now, it's light years ahead. Um, and he was never on very good teams either, from what I remember. No, the Bears were often teams. not very good. And, yeah. and, and he won a comeback player of the year, uh, you know, off of a, off of a knee injury. Yeah. And, and back then coming back after knee injuries was a, was huge because a lot of guys you injured your knee back then you were done. That was it. That was it. Um, you not only you know I guess from the surgery uh, sophistication of today, but the, but the whole rehab experience and the and the facilities and, and the regimen that you can build around a guy today, they can come back uh, and uh, have productive seasons. That's not uncommon at all these days. Yeah. And of course, you tweeted me over the weekend, or, 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 or not tweeted me, but uh, uh, hit me with a with a with a text message about uh, you know about the Cowboys and the Vikings and uh, Vikings. Wow. So, so what's going on with the O and two Vikings? Well, the the Vikings are, in a, are expected to be in a transition year. They um, like a lot of teams. You reach a point where you look at your roster and you've got guys making big money and they're just on the other side of their best years. And with salary cap and other financial structures that define the national football league, you go through a, a, a period where those guys go. And so they probably uh, jettisoned eight or nine guys on defense guys like Everson Griffin, who's, who's now with the Cowboys, yep. Dominic Rhodes, who's I think in Indy, 
um, uh, Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes in the secondary, Linville Joseph, who's out at San Diego. So some big names on some of those good Viking teams were gone. So we expected this to be a transition year. They had a good draft. They draft, had a big draft class. Um, but what's happened at the, uh, this year, an inexperienced secondary, and they've lost Daniel Hunter, their uh, all-pro um, defensive end, who is going to be out, but we don't know how long. Uh, uh, Anthony Barr, all-pro linebacker, is out for the season with a torn peck uh, that occurred last week. So they're down on defense. And then I know you want to ask me about Kirk Cousins. I honestly don't know what to tell you other than that the the offense has some new personnel there too. Um, but they've, they've looked awful the, fir- the, first, <laughs> the first two weeks. So um, we'll see. You know, they, they were expected to be much better than what they played. But now it's like, well, when will they win a game? So, mm-hmm. And I thought your Cowboys, Jeff, were going to go 0-2, and they almost did. Uh, I was defeat from the jaws of victory. They there. were way behind, yeah. uh, but my goodness, uh, the old, well, we just need to score and get that onside kick. And uh, it, every once in a while it happens, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, uh, before you came on the show, I mentioned that, um, uh, you know, the fact that the Falcons didn't attempt to recover the ball before it went 10 yards, I likened it to uh, Seinfeld when Elaine was uh, watching the tire go around and around when she was, uh, you know, when, when she thought she was getting dumber. And so she's oh. like, yeah, look at this. That's what that reminded me. Of. Oh yeah. You get a little spinning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a unique kick because, you know, when, when, when he did it and the ball starts rolling, I'm thinking, well, this ball is going to go out of bounds after two yards. And then all of a sudden it started curling. Is this uh, some type of new type of kick he's been working on or something? Or yeah, what? They call it the watermelon kick, and I guess he's been working on it for a few years. He's never tried it in a game before. Um, and, uh, you know, the special teams coach is also formerly of the Rams, Jim Fossil. Um, so, so Zerline and Fossil have been working on this for quite some time, and they finally got a chance to bring I mean, it That's out. very interesting. You know, what, what I first thought of when I saw the, um, the kick – and, and watched how it acted. It, it reminded me of a slow roller in a baseball game down the third baseline. <laughs> and they're thinking it's going to roll foul and it never does. And the runner is safe. <laughs> you know, why not just get the ball and make the play? You know? um, it also reminded me of curling. I kept expecting a couple of Cowboys to be oh, in right, a sleeping motion. <laughs> that's right. And it, and it did go to 10 yards. <laughs> yes. Gold, gold medal. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, brings me an interesting question. So, uh, and I'll let you go first on this one. Where do you land on Mike Zimmer? Mike Zimmer, I, I tell you what, I, I think if they end up going three and 13 or four and 12, he's going to be on the hot seat. Um, but it's a transition year. They've had a lot of injuries. They've got a lot of young players. So I think a lot's going to depend on how well they're doing it toward the end of the season. If they're on an uptick, if things are starting to gel and you can begin to see what the potential of the team is, I think he'll probably be, he'll probably be fine. But uh, they can't keep playing like they have. That's for sure. Personally, I like, I like Zimmer. We're about the same age. He's kind of old school. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've watched his post-game uh, or day after uh, press sessions, 
And, you know, a lot of times he gets kind of testy. You can kind of, you know, a lot of times after a win, he's in a good mood. And you can tell after a loss, he comes in and he's very cryptic, really short answers. But he has seemed to me, at least, remarkably calm and, um, and for having just had the team play so poorly. And he's been in a pretty good, pretty good mood. It's almost, and I guess I'm speculating here, it's almost as if he's saying, well, this is just the team we have. You know, this is a work in progress. They're a young team. And it's not going to do me any good to come out here and, you know, go all, you know, negative. Um, but, but it's interesting. He, he is, I, I would have expected him to come out and be the sourpuss in the grouts. And I mean, he said they need to play better, obviously, but he's been, he's, he has seemed um, much calmer to me, ironically. Well, I'm familiar with Zimmer. He spent time on the Cowboys coaching staff. And uh, what really impresses me about him was he was the defensive coordinator before Phil Phil Parcells, easy for me to say, came in. And Parcells retained him. And Zimmer ran a 4-3 pre-Parcells. Parcells wanted to run a 3-4. And Zimmer coached a 3-4 defense. So knowing that he was able to adapt and change with that uh, set him up very well when he eventually became the D coordinator in Cincinnati. And uh, so I always had a lot of great respect for Mike Zimmer just because, you know, you know, a football coach will coach, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, my directive is, okay, we're going to change from a four, three to three, four. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. You know, there's no, no belly aching or anything along that line. So uh, I definitely uh, respect him quite a bit. Um, and I thought he probably should have had a shot at the Cowboys coaching job uh, back several years ago as well. Our current coach, you are familiar with, Mike McCarthy, because he was with uh, your rival Packers for many, many years. And, Indeed. And, you know, I guess we're going to uh, find out the – this is also along the lines of the Belichick-Brady argument, you know, which one was the, the fuel for success. Was it Rodgers or was it – McCarthy, and it might be more Rogers than McCarthy. Uh, I think you make a case yeah. for that. Um, yeah. But yeah. I find interesting is um, McCarthy seemed to be more conservative in his days of Green Bay compared to his first two games of Dallas, where he's tried, you know, two fake punts that failed. The first one I didn't have a problem with. The second one was a reach. Doesn't go for a single point conversions opting for two they don't make it so then they're still in a two possession game uh so his team bailed him out in that situation because otherwise it would have been a uh, an eight point game they would have come down to score with a chance to tie so i'll tell you, I'll tell you jeff who bailed him out was your kicker who kicked that onside kick <laughs> what, what would this conversation be like right now if it was the zero and two cowboys right? yeah yep no no question about it it's uh, that that's a very big deal right there and uh so what i've seen yeah, i don't know because so because you know, yeah. he said you know you know the big thing was his year off that he was embracing analytics and it's like well whose analytics are you embracing because <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure what i'm seeing so far as makes a lot of sense but uh that'd be an interesting conversation I, yeah but, but yeah I, I was thinking man he's going to be in the hot seat right out of the gate in dallas at zero and two yeah that would not yeah. have been you know because i believe now before this season because we had the extra playoff spot this year the math was if you are one and one you still have a 25 percent chance of making the playoffs if you're zero and two it's 12 percent 
12%. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> you can thank Babe Loffenberg of the Cowboys Radio Network uh, for that uh, statistical well, you got to love the statistics. Um, and, I mean, that's a reality, you know. Uh, you, you have to take that into account. And maybe Mr. Uh, 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 Mr. Cowboy, their head coach, is, is uh, transforming himself to the new world in which we live because he was kind of old school. Well, if you're in Green Bay, I mean, you know, you, you just, you're, you're kind of old school, I guess, just because of the, uh, you know, the frozen tundra of Lambeau field <laughs> or whatever that was. Uh, yeah. Harry Facenda, but, um, or not Harry Facenda, but uh, who's, who's the great announcer? John, John Facenda. John Facenda. Yes. John Facenda. Yes. Yes. Um, Henry was his brother, I think. Henry, Henry, yeah. <laughs> Previously unknown brother. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, is uh, as always, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, any any closing shots? Uh, any research you left on the table that you didn't share with me previously? Research on the table. Just a little quick trivia for you here, Jeff. Uh, let's see if I can find it. This is totally back to baseball for a minute. Okay. Um. On September 30th, 1962, in the, and this is not a trivia question for you necessarily, I'll just read this, but on September 30th, 1962, in the eighth inning of the last game of the 1962 New York Mets 40 and 120 season, they only won 40 games that year, the legendary Joe Pignatano popped into a 4-3-6 triple play in his last major league at bat. Now, if that's into, it was also the last game for Sammy Drake and Richie Ashburn, the two runners who were tagged out on the play. So Pignatano is the only player to end his career by hitting into a triple play. And by extension, that had to have been the only time that all three players involved in a triple play had that as their final major league play in which they were involved. So that is a little bit of baseball lore. You got to love it. Couldn't be like Ted Williams, right? (laughs) It went out in your last at bat. (laughs) (laughs) Were you a Ted Williams fan? You know, I, I am, uh, you know, that's a, the fact that, you know, he could hit like crazy was, you know, um, this is we're really getting off on, on our sides now, but my wife had a, a, a good family friend um, um, who passed away a few years ago, and I only met him once, but he was a, um, my wife grew up in Boston area, Cambridge, and uh, Al McCann was his name, and uh, Al was a, a baseball fan, but I met him one time, and we got to talking a little bit about baseball, and he said, that Ted Williams, that Ted Williams was a bum. He was a bum. <laughs> I think it had probably something to do with his not signing autographs or just his temperament. He was a great player, but I'll never forget that. He's just telling it like it is. Ted Williams, the bum. (laughs) (laughs) And this, and this from a Bostonian. Oh boy. Yeah. That's yeah. Because that's, that's, you know, he's revered by everybody. (laughs) Not, not Al McCann. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just occurred to me too, you know, you and I haven't had uh, the chance to talk about Tom Seaver. Another, oh, that was a bad story. Yeah. 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 And uh, what a great pitcher he was. And um, I mentioned it on my podcast a, a few episodes ago, but I believe it was the uh, 
only 300 game winner with a sub three ERA. Um, yeah, which is which is which is remarkable. I mean, you think about that. Yeah, to get 300 wins and and have a sub three ERA. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't think he ever had a bad season, and uh, he he was not a bum. Um, no, <laughs> any stretch. And I was, it was interesting to, I read, I remember reading a little bit about what some of his former teammates had to say about him. And I, I believe I saw where Cleon Jones, who was an outfielder with that um, um, amazing Mets team of 69. He said, we, we always called Tom Seaver, the boy scout because he was just that good of a guy um, on the field and off. And so I, I thought that was a great, um, a great compliment that, that kind of perhaps defines kind of the legacy that Tom Seaver left in the minds of a lot of people uh, with whom he played. And and that's the greatest, I think, type of compliment you could probably get. Hmm. Yeah. I was trying to look back in, in my notes and see if I could find what the, what the stat was, because it was, it was only him and Walter Johnson who were in that, uh, that realm. Oh, yeah. when, you, when you think about that, that is just Unbelievably remarkable when when you think about that. Uh, let me see one more check. I know this is a thrilling everybody to no end to hear me click around on my computer, but <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to save that for another day. But uh, uh, you know, when you look at you know the fact that you know Tom Seaver was the franchise for the Mets and what burden he had to uh, you know get you know the the Mets to the promised land. And, yeah, we could, we could do a whole show just on the Mets of, of the, uh, the late 60s. And, uh, of course, Jerry Kuzman was a, a really good pitcher. But what, what would the Mets have been had they held on to Nolan Ryan? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up wondering about that. Like, how did they let him get away? Yeah, no, think of – yeah, no, that's, that's, that's insanely crazy when you really – How many more World Series would the Twins have won had they kept David Ortiz? I mean, maybe we could do a show just on the ones who got away and what history <laughs> would have been. Um, yeah. Those, that would be one right there, the Nolan Ryan, um, uh, you know, getting away from New York. Yeah, no, that's a, that is exactly right. So, uh, but yeah, so yeah, this has been a – you know, I mean – it's probably just one of those facts that we face as we get older, but you know, when you see all these, uh, you know, sports heroes of our youth, uh, 2020 has not been a kind year in that category. That's for darn sure. No, not at all. Not at all. All right. Well, let's uh, conclude this Joe. As always, we do thank you for being here. And, uh, uh, as always appreciate your contributions to the podcast. Jeff, it's always a pleasure. And as always, thanks for having me on and, uh, stay safe. You got it. And we'll be back. uh, We'll do a little more conversation, uh, a little deeper in the playoffs. We'll definitely uh, break down what's going on there, too. You got it. And we will be back to wrap things up with the TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon, weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com, because class is always in session around here, virus or no virus.
works for me. That, of course, the theme from Hunter ran for seven seasons on NBC, 1984 to 1991, starring former Los Angeles Ram defensive end. That's right, the Los Angeles Rams 1.0. That was Fred Dreyer as Sergeant Rick Hunter. Of course, that catchphrase works for me. Made its way into the end of the theme song. And uh, he, of course, again, was joined by Stephanie Kramer, the gorgeous, beautiful Stephanie Kramer as Sergeant Dee Dee McCall. And Hunter was a wily, physically imposing, often rule-breaking homicide detective with the LAPD. And uh, as the show's main characters, Hunter and McCall, they had to resolve many of their cases by lethal force, but no more so than many other TV dramas of that day. And that show came from the stable of Stephen J. Cannell's production company. Other notable characters were Charles Hallahan, who joined season three as Captain Charlie Devane, Garrett Morris of Saturday Night Live fame as the informant Arnold Sporty James. And they tried two different female leads in season seven after Stephanie Kramer departed after season six. It was uh, Darlene Flugel as Officer Joanne Molinsky and Lauren Lane as Sergeant Chris Novak. There were two reunion movies in 1995 and 2002. And given the success of the second TV movie in which Stephanie Kramer reprised her Dee Dee McCall role, Cannell, Fred Dreyer, and NBC attempted to bring Hunter back as a regular series. The April 2003 airing of another TV movie called Back and Forth served as the, the pilot for the series. And the network broadcast three new one-hour episodes. Another two were filmed. So five were originally scheduled to be aired, but those two were never shown in the U.S. As NBC decided to cancel the new series, Fred Dreyer later cited creative differences and budget constraints as the reason for the revivals unexpected end enjoy the college football this weekend baseball wrapping up down to the wire and getting ready for the playoffs next week thanks again for joe finger to uh break it all down for us earlier on the program and with that we are done here thanks for listening to jeff allen sports talk Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.